0: Welcome to The Thing About Austen, a podcast about Jane Austen's world.
1: I'm Zan, and I'm Diane, and this episode, we're talking chimney pieces. We are discussing Pride and Prejudice in today's episode and addressing one of Mr. Collins's favorite topics, Lady Catherine de Bourgh. <sighs> <sighs> More specifically, a chimney piece at her estate. Mr. Collins and the Bennetts have been invited to an evening party at the Phillips, Lizzie's aunt and uncle in Meryton. As soon as Collins arrives, he takes in his surroundings and decides it's appropriate to compare them to Rosings Park. Bold strategy. And this is from the novel. Mr. Collins was at leisure
0: to look around him and admire. And he was so much struck with the size and furniture of the apartment. That he declared he might almost have supposed himself in the small summer breakfast parlor at Rosings, a comparison that did not at first convey much gratification. But when Mrs. Phillips understood from him what Rosings was and who was its proprietor, when she had listened to the description of only one of Lady Catherine's drawing rooms, and found that the chimney piece alone had cost eight hundred pounds, she felt all the force of the compliment. And would hardly have resented a comparison with the housekeeper's room.
1: Only think the things that he would have to say about Pemberley. (laughs) Oh, my word. I mean, Mr. Darcy would never go around talking about what everything in his house costs. But still, I'm sure Collins would find a way to make some comparisons. (laughs) Do not fear. He's got skills at that. Yeah. So to get started, let's do a little bit of definition work. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, my best friend and yours... (laughs) <laughs> a chimney piece is the ornamental structure, usually of stone or marble, with molding, carving, etc., over and around the open recess of a fireplace, now used for the simple projecting slab or shelf over the fireplace. And I think for those of us in the US, we are more used to calling, especially when we're just thinking about the kind of simple projecting slab or shelf, of uh, referring to that as the fireplace mantle or mantelpiece. But the first part of this definition of this ornamental structure is really what we're focusing on today. So the chimney piece as an ornamental, sculptural, and even architectural feature in these large English estates. Right.
0: The 18th century English chimney piece is actually very distinctive. Who knew? The things we learn. Most European countries had a variant on the mantel which included the mantel shelf and supporting columns but according to alister lang's article the 18th century english chimney piece he points out that the english chimney piece quote continues as an entity up to or almost up to the ceiling and that this continuation generally incorporates an overmantel painting or relief so this might also incorporate large mirrors and these were huge statement pieces And since they were so intrinsic to the room, they kind of set the scene, you know, they set the theme for the entire space.
1: So this type of tall sculptural chimney piece called the continued chimney piece, as opposed to a simple chimney piece that ends at the mantle, became popular in the 1720s and continued through the 18th and 19th centuries. They were occasionally made of wood, but those were considered less luxurious than their marble or stone counterparts. In fact, most wooden chimney pieces would have been painted over to resemble marble. And chimney
0: pieces were purposely situated to be the first thing that you would see when you would walk into a room. Sir William Chambers, who wrote an entire chapter on chimney pieces in his book, A Treatise on the Decorative Part of Civil Architecture, first published in 1756, though we are quoting from the fourth edition, which was published in 1825. And Chambers dedicates a few paragraphs on the ideal situation of a chimney piece in different types of rooms. He specifies that in drawing rooms, like the one at Rosings Park, the middle of the back wall is the ideal location, since it is far from the the doors, and it frames individuals and conversations happening around the fire immediately. It just draws the eye and anchors the room. And I have to say, I'm starting to feel like this is turning into like an intro to 18th century interior design episode.
1: Welcome to HGTV Jane Austen style. You're welcome. (laughs) According to Chambers, the artistry of these mantles had to be exquisite. He says, The workmanship of all chimney pieces must be perfectly well finished, like all other objects liable to a close inspection, and the ornaments, figures, and profiles both in form, proportions, and quantity must be suited to the other parts of the room and be elusive to the uses for which it is intended. <laughs>
0: Again, it's, it's inspiring an entire room. We have to get that uh, through that artistry flowing. So one of the things I love about his his, you know, flight of poetic about chimney pieces is that he also has advice on what not to sculpt into a chimney piece. He points out that, quote, All nudities and indecent representations must be avoided, both in chimney pieces and in every other ornament of apartments to which children, ladies, and other modest grave persons have constant recourse together, with all representations capable of exciting horror, grief, disgust, or any gloomy, unpleasing sensations. Makes you wonder what kind of chimney pieces he's encountered in the past to kind of make him feel he needs to make this clarification.
1: Well, I feel like he's basically seen the chimney piece in the Northanger Abbey that exists in Catherine's imagination. (laughs) That's the chimney piece that he's seen,
0: totally lurid and gothic, (laughs) and just he's like, maybe
1: not for the kids. I don't know. (laughs) Oh yeah, haunted mansion chimney piece. I love it. Oh goodness. So these chimney pieces from this era were considered sculptural art pieces that took a lot of time and talent to perfect. They were huge and really pieces of art and sculpture in your house. And Lang points out that this was actually considered a major branch of the sculptor's art. So you could specialize in chimney pieces as an artist and that would be your thing.
0: Yeah, the go-to sculptor for your chimney pieces, absolutely. And according to Malcolm Baker in the article Public Images for Private Spaces, the place of sculpture in the Georgian domestic interior, he states that the chimney piece And in particular, the type of chimney piece with supports which continued upward to frame a relief became, during the 18th century, a vehicle for sculptural invention in its own right. So so this is a real opportunity for people to innovate on sculpture because it's a unique platform.
1: And the English were very proud of their artistic originality in the chimney piece department. What a sentence to say. Super proud. (laughs) According to Chambers, neither the Italians nor the French nor indeed any of the continental nations have ever excelled in compositions of chimney pieces. (laughs) And England being at present possessed of many ingenious and very able sculptors of whom one chief employment is to execute magnificent chimney pieces. Now happily much in vogue, it may be said that in this particular, we surpass all other nations. Not only in point of expense, but likewise in taste of design and excellence of workmanship. <laughs> and I just want everyone to know that that was basically one sentence. <laughs> Chambers, really in love with a good English chimney piece. Oh my goodness, so in love. You have never met anyone who loves a chimney piece the way that Sir William Chambers loves a chimney piece. <laughs> <laughs> he would have loved to have gone to Rosings. He would just have just been like, Lady Catherine. This is the most glorious thing I have ever seen. I'm here to pay tribute to the chimney
0: piece. And I love he goes he goes on to point out that there is a public chimney piece in Venice. So, of course, already it's inferior because it's in Italy. And he says it, quote, cost upwards of a thousand crowns, but that in England, a much larger expense is very frequent. And many private gentlemen's houses in most parts of England are furnished with several chimney pieces at least as valuable. So he's saying, you know, they don't spend enough on their chimney pieces. And just to clarify the costs that he's mentioning here, he mentions it in the in crowns, British currency crowns, which was approximately five shillings. It takes twenty shillings to make one pound. That means, if I'm doing my math correctly, which is always a (laughs) crapshoot, that Chambers is talking about something around 250 pounds for this example in Venice. So don't worry. Lady Catherine's 800-pound chimney piece is obviously ridiculously expensive and therefore superior.
1: It's very, very fancy. Have no fear.
0: (laughs) And I do have no doubt that Lady Catherine, Lady Catherine, Collins, Sir William Chambers, they would have gotten along, right, in talking about that chimney piece.
1: This is a club of chimney piece enthusiasts. I'm just picturing membership cards now. (laughs) So let's do a little bit of context work on just how expensive this Rosings chimney piece is. The cost would include materials and labor, both of which require a lot of money if you were going you know, for top quality. So here are some real examples of prices in estate homes from around this period, just so we can compare what exactly Lady Catherine is working with. Especially because despite Sir William being a little judgy about that Venetian chimney piece, 250 to 350 pounds was actually pretty standard for even a very fancy chimney piece.
0: Yeah. We'll start kind of with one of the first chimney pieces that we have a price for. And so one chimney piece by the sculptor John Nost was finished for William III in Hampton Court Palace in 1699 for 275 pounds. You know, for royalty. That's the (laughs) price, right? Another example was created by the sculptor Tyler from Milton Hall in 1772, and it cost 282 pounds. So we're getting a little bit closer to Austen's time period. One chimney piece sculpted by Van Gelder was completed for the grocer's hall, again a public space, in 1800 for 370 pounds. And finally, perhaps one of the most ostentatious and costly chimney pieces in England was created by Sir Robert Westmacott for the music room in the Brighton Pavilion for £1,244.
1: So that means that Lady Catherine's chimney piece is actually closer in price to a chimney piece in Prinny's Pavilion than most other chimney pieces of its day. So think about that. And yeah. also the reputation that Prinny had at this time for just you know, being a spendthrift and... Just over the top. Like there was
0: no rationale to how much money he's spending
1: on things. Spending way too much money, wasting funds.
0: So yeah, that that money pricing and that ostentatiousness really bleeds through once you have context on how much money is going into this piece.
1: Yeah. I don't think that Austin is trying to compliment Lady Catherine's fine taste. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, she's being like, oh, she
0: vulgarly overspends. (laughs) That's Lady
1: Catherine. (laughs) And so when
0: we talk about bringing that back into into the novel, the scene is really so brief, but it also is so revealing about Collins' social ineptitude. He is a guest in the Phillips' home and thinks it's okay to compare one of their largest social spaces to a small summer breakfast parlor. Let's parse that for a minute. So when he says small, that's easy enough to understand why Mrs. Phillips might feel insulted. But then he adds on the qualifiers, right? It's the summer breakfast parlor. He's referring to a room that is used only for breakfast and only in the summer. That kind of real estate in a home tells us a lot about the wealth that goes along with the Rosings estate.
1: Basically, he's saying to Mrs. Phillips, listen, Lady Catherine's house is so fancy. It is so fancy that I'm going to compare the main room in your house that you use for all your entertaining to a room that only gets used once a day on a seasonal basis. (laughs) What I actually really, really love about this entire scene is that Collins doesn't even mean it as an insult. Oh my gosh, yeah. To him, this is the highest compliment. And of course, Mrs. Phillips is initially like, excuse you, like what? (laughs) But you know, once she's obviously made to understand, and thank you so much to Jane Austen for not giving us what I'm imagining is just like a five paragraph length you know. Description and explanation of
0: (laughs) of just how awesome this comparison is. (laughs) Exactly.
1: You know, once Mr. Collins has laboriously explained to Mrs. Phillips that, listen, okay, Rosings is a big deal. You don't understand. You know, she does come around once it is made clear to her that it might as well be a royal palace that her house is being compared to. So that last line, she felt all the force of the compliment and would hardly have resented a comparison with the housekeeper's room. It's just, it's perfect. I love it.
0: Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Austin is a master. I think this is also supposed to signal how gauche Collins is, obviously, but also how gauche Lady Catherine is. So even though we don't have Lady Catherine like directly telling Collins, oh, this chimney piece cost 800 pounds.
1: How else would he know? How
0: else would he know? Exactly. And so, you know, he's he's over there spouting money talk in polite society and talking about how wealthy Lady Catherine is. It's incredibly vulgar for him to be doing this. And it also reflects poorly on Lady Catherine.
1: And also, I think, is a great example of how many of the criticisms that Darcy levels at Elizabeth's family and- Mm -hmm some of their vulgarities. You know, we do see in Lady Catherine, this titled wealthy person who you can just imagine one evening when Collins is over there for tea. She's just going on and on and on. I can just imagine her like pricing every single item in the room. (laughs) Yeah. And this is how much the carpet cost. And this is how much the chimney piece was. And he's just like, wow.
0: (laughs) Collins is lapping it up. He's (laughs) like, "This, this is the best day ever. But that if Dorsey were able to listen to this, he'd be absolutely mortified.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like this would be his Mrs. Bennett shouting about all the girls like being in the way of other rich men kind of moment. Exactly.
0: exactly. Yeah. I think that this, the the vulgarity of it is something that's perhaps sometimes easy to miss. And that's why I I love in the 1995 adaptation, the way that Collins is talking about the chimney piece. First of all, I love that they put the scene in that adaptation because it is such a niche content kind of, kind of scene, but they have Collins like overtly do the comparison to a small room in Rosings. And you actually see Mrs. Phillips initially be like, what? <laughs> rude, super rude. Cause it is, it's incredibly rude. But then he's like, no, 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 Lady Catherine de Bourgh. You know, and he always feels like Lady Catherine de Bourgh is like a magic incantation
1: that makes everything okay. <laughs> Like everybody's also supposed to know who she is and why she's important, she is and why she's
0: so cool. But he, you know, he basically he does his Lady Catherine de Bourgh explanation. It's quite brief, but once he does this schmoozy, my patroness is so cool talk, then the character who plays Missus Phillips is like, "Oh, now I understand." (laughs)
1: She's like very okay with it now. I love it. I love it so much. It's so good. And I bet you didn't think that we could do an entire episode. On Lady Catherine's chimney piece, but here we are. Challenge accepted. Challenge you know? accepted. That's, that's how we do. That is what we're all about. And <laughs> as we are actually coming up on our first year of starting the podcast, we just wanted to take a moment to thank all of our listeners. It means so much that you have been listening to the podcast, sharing it with friends, and saying just the loveliest things online. Absolutely. It's very, very much appreciated. We are so glad that you are here for all the Lady Catherine chimney piece content. <laughs> we need someone to appreciate it. <laughs> exactly. So we are going to be taking a few weeks off for a bit of a summer break. But in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at The thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. And you can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com. And you can always email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com.
0: When we return, our next episode, we'll be talking about General Tilney's Breakfast
1: China. Thanks for listening.